the downsizer contribution counts towards the tax-free component. So there's no implications on those benefits passing on to non-dependent recipients. You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 193 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. The downsizer contributions turn out to be more popular than many thought, at least than I thought. In the first year, so from 1st of July 2018 to 30th of June 2019, over 5,000 people contributed over $1.2 billion into super through the downsizer contributions. 31% in New South Wales, 26% in Victoria, Queensland, 24%, and the remaining 19% over the other states and territories. So the take-up pretty much mirrors population size. While the general concept of the downsizer contributions is straightforward, it gets more tricky when you look at the details. So I asked Daniel Mikael of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney to tell you more. We're starting to see you know, a fair few people take it up. And look, I think a lot of people are under the impression that you, know, you have to downsize home, you know, as in go from a four-bedroom place to a two-bedroom place, in order to qualify for the downsizer contribution, when in fact that's not the case. You can actually even upsize property and still qualify for the downsizer contribution. I know that sounds ridiculous, but but all you have to, I mean, the eligibility requirements is you have to be over the age of 65 to qualify and you have to have held your property for at least 10 years in order to qualify for the downsizer. So you held it for 10 years and you have to make the contribution into super within 90 days after the date of settlement. Okay, so you've got that three-month window to get that money into super and you're limited to $300,000 per person. Okay, so up to $600,000 for a couple. Now, if you've got one, if you've got a couple where one of the members of the couple is over the age of 65 and one is under the age of 65 and the property is sold, then unfortunately only one member of that couple, being the person over the age of 65, will be able to put the $300,000 into super. So we would always suggest that, you know, if it's possible and if it's appropriate, wait for both to be, you know, over the age of 65 and that way that will entitle both members to put in $300,000 each. And I can imagine it's particularly of interest for people who have already maxed out their total superannuation balance so who already have 1.6 million in super, yep. so in theory they can't contribute anymore, but this allows them to yeah, get another so, 300,000 so in. So the total super balance rule of 1.6 doesn't come into effect here, okay? What does come into effect, though, is the pension threshold, which is yeah. also 1.6. So whilst you can contribute $300,000 per person or 600 between a couple... Into accumulation. Into accumulation... If you've already maxed out on the 1.6 in the pension phase, yeah, the then you transfer can't, balance cap. 
The transfer balance cap, correct, correct. The transfer balance cap, you can't actually put any additional monies into your pension. So those monies would have to remain in the accumulation phase. But so that means it's particularly of interest for people whose marginal tax rate is more than 15% that's outside right. of And that's one super. thing one needs to weigh up is, okay, well, if I'm going to put this money into super, what is my marginal tax rate in my personal name? If it's over the rate of greater than the rate of 15%, then one would argue that Having it in superannuation might be more advantageous. There's no restriction on getting access to it because obviously you've got over the age of 65, you've met a condition of release. So getting access to that capital is not an issue. What we would normally suggest to our clients is, you know, draw the minimum from your pension and then anything, any requirements above and beyond your pension, or above your minimum pension, I should say, to be drawn from your accumulation phase. Because ultimately, you don't want to be drawing down your pension balance because that's all tax-free. You've got a pot of money sitting in accumulation that's being taxed at 15%. So you'd rather be drawing any excess above and beyond your minimum from your accumulation phase. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. I think the um, downsizer contribution is of particular interest to people who are close to 65, meaning who have just passed 65. Because I think the closer you get to the end of your life expectancy the less you want money to go into super if you don't have death benefit dependence. Because let's say somebody is 95, is really losing its marbles, is going to a nursing home, life expectancy is not great, no death benefit dependence, you wouldn't want that money to go into super because when it comes out of super, you then hit death benefit tax, whereas if you leave it outside of super, then it's just normal inheritance and there's no tax on inheritance. The downsizer contribution actually goes into your tax-free component. Ah. Okay, so it forms part of your tax-free component. So that means that... So the death benefit tax is non-applicable. Okay, so that means even even if your life expectancy is low, you can still put it into super and don't have to worry about death tax. Correct. Where the issue comes as you start to get older, and let's say that money ends up going into the pension phase, the drawdown rate is a lot higher as you get older. So if it's a client in their 90s, then the drawdown rate starts to get up there. I think it's... Hence, uh, it would actually be better. Yeah, it goes up to 9%. 9% and I think 11% after 95, yes. I think, from memory. So hence, it would be better to put it in accumulation. Where well, you've got, to, you've got to weigh up. How old you are. And how old you are. Is it better to get the tax savings on the earnings in the pension phase and have to draw out the 9 or 11% versus leaving it in accumulation, paying 15%? Nine times out of ten, it's probably still better off having it in the pension phase because even though you're still drawing the minimum pension and you may not be using all of it, that would be parked in the individual's name. The earnings on that may not be great and they can earn 20 or 25 grand in their personal names tax-free anyway. So, yeah, as I said, nine times out of ten, it's still better off having it in the pension phase and living in the accumulation phase as you get older. But coming to your point around, you know, as you get older, you know, if someone's in their 90s, you really need to weigh up whether it's better off going into personal name or super and, and ultimately to the pension phase. And that's really just a weighing up of the, the marginal tax rates of both pension versus individual. If the client's paying no tax anyway in their individual name, then it may be less cumbersome just to have it invested in their personal name. Again, the benefits need to be weighed up on under both options. The other important point to make is downsizer contributions, and I don't think many people would know this, but 
downside the contributions are actually eligible to attract the government co-contribution and spouse contribution tax offset. So it's almost, in a way from that respect, treated as a non-concessional contribution, even though the non-concessional this contribution doesn't count towards the non-concessional contributions cap. From a co-contribution and a spouse contribution tax offset, you still get eligibility to those two mm. benefits. But they're very small. They're very small. Spouse contribution, yeah. I think, is five hundred forty dollars or it, something. Look, it's not huge. What well, used to be five hundred forty, I think, it has become more. Correct. It's it's not huge, but mm. uh, if you, you might as well claim it. Well, that's this is exactly that's exactly right. So that's worth noting. The proceeds from the sale of the home. One of the other eligibility requirements is the home has to have been either fully or partially or partially exempt from, from the main from the from the CGT main residence exemption. Okay. So they have to be fully exempt. Could have been partially exempt. So IE may have rented out that property over a period of time. There'd be a partial exemption under the main residence exemption, and therefore it would still qualify for the downsizer. And it would still fully qualify. For the downsizer. Yes, it's Even not prorated or... Exactly. No. So let's say you only get 50% main residence exemption, yep. you would still qualify for 100% downsizer contribution. Yep. Even people who own a pre-CGT main residence still qualifies. So that's pre-1985. Still qualifies for the downsizer. The other important point to make is, you know, let's say you have a situation where you have a couple who own a home that's worth, you know, a million dollars and they decide to sell their place. So they're both over the age of 65. They've got a home that's worth a million dollars and they want to buy a home, a new home, worth exactly the same amount. And they might have $300,000 parked in cash in their own names. So by moving from the old home to the new home, they haven't freed up any cash, but it still entitles them to make a downsizer contribution. And they could use the money that's sitting in cash to $300,000 to put that money into super under the downsizer provision. And that's what I was saying earlier. You don't actually have to downsize home in terms of value or number of rooms or you know size of the property to qualify for this contribution. As I said earlier, you can even upsize. If they went from a, you know, the same example, million dollar property, and they're looking to buy a house for, you know, 1.3, and they had, let's say they had half a million dollars in cash. So obviously to upsize from the from the million dollar property to the 1.3, they would need to top up $300,000 cash. They would therefore be left with $200,000 in cash after the move to the new premises. They could still use that $200,000, the remaining $200,000 in cash to make a downsizer contribution into super. Whilst the terminology of the... Of it's the, misleading. It's misleading, isn't it? Because it's, it says downsize, but you can actually use it if you're upsizing, downsizing or... But I think most people age 65 would or older downsize. would be downsizing. Yeah, yeah but downsizing in terms of size. Yes, but uh, not necessarily of value, good correct. point. Yeah, downsizing in terms, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why the provisions then go into whether you have to downsize in terms of size or in terms of value. You could be neither. Going, no, neither. It doesn't go into that at all. 
which I don't think is achieving the intent of the strategy. But um, Have you seen a lot of people actually upsizing no, in value? No, most people would downsize in value. Yeah. Yeah. Because they also need the gap in value to finance their retirement. Correct. Yeah, and that's why predominantly why they're doing it. That's exactly right. So, yeah, typically it's downsizing in value and downsizing in size is what I've typically seen. And one thing to consider for those who are receiving an age pension. If you want to qualify or continue to qualify for the age pension, do not sell your home. Well, you've got to do the sum. So because at the moment, the main residence is exempt from the asset test purposes. But only if you don't sell. Only if you don't sell. Now, if you sell and move into another place, the new place is still going to be exempt. There's no problem. But the cash that you've freed up, if you've downsized, is going to count towards the asset test. I see. So if you live in a house for $10 million and you sell and then buy another house for $10 million, no then it doesn't count for the age pension. But if you sell for $10 million and then buy for $5 million, then, of course, you... That $5 million of cash. Pension, yeah. yeah is and gonna, that's justified. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. But this is where people can get caught out. You know, I'll put the money into super, you know, more tax-effective environment, you know, et cetera, et cetera, not realising that if you're in receipt of an age pension, there can have consequences in terms of it may result in a reduction to your age pension entitlements because now you've got an accessible asset where previously it was fully, you know, non-accessible mm. from a Centrelink perspective. But I can imagine none of your clients had this concern. Oh, no, no, we've got some clients in this Oh, really? Boat. Yeah, yeah. So I- you have clients who are on the age pension and have enough assets to engage in a financial advisor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Wow. How yeah. does that work? Well, I mean, you can have between a couple up to $800,000 and still qualify for some pension. Hmm. And, you know, in my mind, that's a pretty yeah. – that's that's not a bad client. Yes. So Again, the edge pension is actually very generous in terms of thresholds to qualify. Yeah. The actual amounts might be frugal, but – I think the qualification thresholds yeah, I mean, are very high. It used to be 1.1 or 1.2 million in terms of assets mm. before it cuts out completely. Mm. Obviously, a few years ago, the government brought that threshold back to about 840 odd mm. thousand. I think that would come further down as we age. We have yeah, to bring look, it further down to finance it. It's a big cost. There's no doubt about that. But I think the yeah, it's not going to happen anytime soon because the reduction in the thresholds only just happened a couple of years ago. I think. So, again, it's not going to happen anytime soon, is my view. Um, it, but won't, it won't happen for the baby boomers. No. But I think it will no. happen for look, Generation with, with time, as people living longer, you know, they're definitely going to, one, drag out the... Pension age. Pension age, because at the moment it's... 65. 60, well, slowly moving out to 67. So, eventually, with time, they're going to bring that out to seven, if not longer. So, as people start to live longer, what will, people are living longer... Yeah, so that's, I think, something that will happen with time. Actually, do you need to be 65 or do you need to be older than 65? 65 or over. Okay, Yeah. good. And I think the contributor only needs to be 65 at the time of contribution and you have 90 days. So in theory, you could sell up to 90 days before your 65th birthday. Because you only need to be 65 at the time of contribution, not at the time of sale. That's the case. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, because ultimately when you put it into the fund, that's when things matter. It's not necessarily that when you've sold the property, 
But yeah, it's a good question. Good question. Yeah, but it's definitely the time you make the contribution. Yeah. Let's say only one spouse actually owns the house, which you often have when yep. when one spouse is in a high risk yep. profession or so, then the other spouse owns 100% of the home. Both spouses can still make a contribution, even though the house was only in one Correct. spouse's name. That's right. It's just that both spouses must have lived in the house. Yes. If you sell your house to the kids for just a small token price, then I think you have a problem. If you sell the house to the kids for a low price, you can only contribute what you receive. You can only contribute the extra proceeds. You can actually you can only, only contribute, contribute out of the proceeds. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you sell your house to the children for for $1,000, then you can't contribute, even though the house yeah. might have been worth a lot more. That's right. Correct. Yeah, it's got to come out of the proceeds. And it doesn't matter whether you own the house as tenants in common or no. as joint tenants. No. And it's also possible that somebody else also had an interest in the um, property. So, for example, if three or four family members owned the house, but you lived in it for 10 years, then you can still contribute your share of the proceeds into your SMSF. So if you've got three or four people that own the house and you've lived in it for 10 years, so let's say it's four people, so you own 25%, and let's say the value of the property is a million dollars. Then you can still contribute the 250000 yep. Subdivision doesn't matter if you subdivide and then sell the house, No. that portion of the house. No. So as again, so long as the house qualifies for the main residence exemption, that's the key test. So if it ticks that box, then the door opens and you qualify. But if it doesn't, for whatever reason, then obviously you can't do it. And that also means, for example, in this example we used before, where four people owned the house, of course, only the person who lived in the house and hence qualifies for qualified the main residence. for the main residence Correct. then also qualifies for the downsizer. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. The strategy has become a lot more popular in recent times and I think now that a lot more people understand how you can utilise the strategy and utilise it to your advantage. It's becoming a lot more popular strategy that we're using for a lot of our clients. One other thing to note is the downsizer contribution counts towards the tax-free component. So there's no implications on those benefits passing on to non-dependent recipients because often people are under the impression that when my super passes to people who are non-dependent, there's tax that applies on the way out. Because this forms part of the tax-free component, when that eventually goes to non-dependent beneficiaries, there's no tax implications on the way out. Welcome back. So the downsizer contributions go into the tax-free components, so no need to worry about death tax and death benefit dependence. In the next episode, episode 194, we will go back to our series about GST on imports. Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne will talk about low-value good imports. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.